Now, here's the first thing I need you to do tonight. I need you to divide yourself into four groups. I don't care how you do it, uh, but you need to divide yourself into four groups and sit together as four groups. Right now, we have kind of an amoeba. Y'all know what amoeba is? That kind of move around. So find yourself. I need you in four groups, however you want to group yourself together. All right. So we got one group here, two groups, two, number, group number two. All right. Y'all have successfully divided yourself into five groups. Too bad that was not the instructions. So y'all, y'all, you can be one big group. I don't, that doesn't bother me. All right. So one, two, three, four. All right. I'm going to give you, we're good. We're good. Everybody, we're good. All right. Stay where you are. We're good. All right. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a verse, okay? And then I'm going to give you a part of a passage, okay? I'm going to talk a little bit before then. And then your group is going to talk about your verse and your part of the passage, okay? And I want somebody in your group's going to read it, and then you are going to, I'll tell you what to do when you get there, and then we're going to all discuss part of it, all right? Part of it is I want to discuss a large portion of Scripture tonight, and instead of me just sitting here and reading for 15 minutes, y'all can read your part, and then somebody's going to report out of your group. So if you want to go ahead and elect that person without them knowing it, um, somebody is going to report out of your group after what you've done, okay? So uh, we're going to do that. All right, here's the thing. We're going to talk tonight about what is the purpose of our lives and the purpose of our church that seems to be being placed on the back burner. I read something this week that said that it was from a pastor who said he was the pastor of an evangelical church, that's a church like ours, at a time when evangelical church are no longer doing evangelical things like evangelism, which is where we get the name evangelical for. In fact, most of y'all know this, we're Southern Baptist Church. And Southern Baptists hold out, we're the, we're the church that really tells people. We're the, we're the denomination that really tries to witness to people. And the numbers are startling because there are fewer baptisms in the Southern Baptist Convention today than there were 50 years ago. Now, that wouldn't be a problem if the population was about the same. But you realize the population has skyrocketed. And the number of people we're baptizing is less. Dr. Chuck Lawless, who was the guy that kind of uh, got me into the Ph.D. program at Southern and is a guy I respect a lot, has written a book recently and he, he says that he thinks the problem is twofold. One is that we've lost our first love of Christ. You know, in the book of Revelation, it says, I hold this against you, that you no longer hold your first love. And when you lose your first love for Christ, then you lose your love for other things. He said the second problem is that we no longer see people, we see crowds. We see groups. We don't know our neighbors like we used to. We don't care about people, individuals, like we did. They're anonymous. They're people. They're groups. They're, um, we've divided ourselves even in a nation as the Republicans and the Democrats or, or uh, 
the northerners and the southerners or the Tennesseans and the Alabamans or we're just groups. This is what he says. And I, this statement really kind of struck me. He said, lukewarm believers who fail to see individuals as lost will not be Great Commission believers. And as a result, we just kind of go through the motions. So the next three weeks, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about a plan for us in 2014, this group of us. And, and here's the thing. Now, we have people in this church that right now are serving, that are teaching, that are leading. But outside of those, this is a core group of First Baptist Goodlettsville. I mean, people don't come to Wednesday night church anymore unless they're invested. So you're invested. And I want us to ask the question, okay, what does it look like? What, what does it take to be a Great Commission believer? Okay? Let me give you your verses. All right? Group one, forevermore shall be known. This is group one. Mark sixteen fifteen. All right? Mark sixteen fifteen. I'll just ask one of you to read that in a minute. All right, we well, all won't have to discuss that one. Group two, Luke twenty four, verses forty five through forty nine. All right, one of y'all got that? Charlie, okay, Miss Wilkinson got that. All right. Group three in the back, John twenty, verse twenty one. Okay. The big group over here. Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8. Alright, we're going to start with group 1. We're just going to read these verses. And here's what I'll... And we'll talk a comment... I'll comment about them in a minute. And then we'll go to the... The... Uh, kind of the meat of what we're doing here. Alright, group 1. You got Mark sixteen fifteen. Mr. Cliff, are you reading that for us? Alright. So what book is that now? Mark. Okay. So that's Mark. Miss Shirley, your group, who's reading for y'all? Okay, Carol. Okay. So that's Luke. All right. In the back, the Hagen Shirley Pearson combo triplet back there. All right. That's John Acts 1 8 up here in the front. All right. Here, here's why I wanted to do that. Okay. Those verses all sound like a verse we talk about sometimes that comes out of Matthew. And sometimes we'll use the phrase the Great Commission to talk about Matthew 28, right? But some ways that is a disservice because there is not a Great Commission. There are Great Commissions. Jesus in Matthew, who had, no, we didn't read the Matthew one, but you know that, right? So you, you go into all the world as you go, baptizing people, teaching them to follow all that I command. That's Matthew. Who had Mark? Who had Luke? Who had John? And then just to wrap it up, we had Acts. Five times. All of those came at the end of Jesus' life. They're part of His final words. Do you think He thought it was important? Yeah. Now, I, I want you to think for just a minute, and, and sometimes you've thought about this. If you were setting your affairs in order and you knew you were about to leave, don't you make sure you get the most important message across? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I enjoy... Um, sometimes viewing is the last things that are said before we like take a trip to Brazil. 
Because that's not necessarily an easy time. It's an exciting time, but there are people being left here. There are people going. And always, there's rarely inconsequential stuff shared. Right? It's only the important stuff at the last minute. And Jesus is sharing this important thing. And so, here's my game plan over the next few weeks, all right? Is tonight, we're going to talk about the first step and what I think it takes to become a Great Commission Christian. Somebody that is burdened with carrying the gospel to the nations and next door. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means for us, how, uh, what, what it requires of us. The week after that, we're going to talk about some real practical things to do to begin to carry that out. But here's the first step, I think, that has to happen. If we're going to be people who fulfill those five things, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, the commissions that are there, we first have to be a people that are completely amazed at who God is. Overwhelmed by Him. And I want to take a passage of Scripture from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to Mark chapter 5, verse 43. So a chapter and some of the Scripture. And I'm going to give you chunks of this, all right? And here's what I want you to do in your group, okay? We're going to talk about being amazed by Christ, okay? I want you to read the passage. Somebody read it out loud to your group. And then as a group, I want you to talk about the things that are amazing in that. Now, that is a word we use a little too much, right? Amazing is something we use too much. Amazement really means, being amazed means, filled with emotional impact of astonishment and wonder in a surprising way. All right, group one. You've got Mark chapter 4, verse 35, through the end of that chapter, okay? Through 41, I think. I didn't write it down exactly, but I think it's 41. Group 2, you've got Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. Group 3, you've got Mark 5, 21 through 34. Group 4, you've got Mark chapter 5, verse 35 through 43. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Read it. I'll go over them again in just a minute in case you didn't get it. Read it. Then spend time in your group talking about it. What amazes you in there? And then ask this question. What emotions would have you have been feeling if you were the people other than Jesus in the story? Think about it from all angles, okay? Group 1, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Group 2, Mark 5, verse 1 through 20. Group 3, Mark 5, 21 through 34. Group 4, Mark 5, 35 through 43. Go. You've got 30 seconds. I'm just kidding. You've got several minutes, all right? I'll tell you when it's time to kind of come back. Talk about it till I call you back. All right, take about three more minutes. Make sure you got your spokesman selected. And informed. You got uh, you got official notes there, Cliff. Uh, wouldn't expect anything less. Good, good. Mister Mister Kaiser's just glad he's not getting pestered by Mister Aldrich right now. She's not gonna come back. Oh. All right, let's come back together. All right. Let me read you a quote. 
This is from Charles Spurgeon, 19th century preacher. It says, Give us a church that loves Jesus much. In that church you'll have mighty prayer meetings. You'll have a holy membership. You'll have liberal giving to the cause of Christ. You'll have hearty praising of His name. You'll have careful walking before the world. You'll have earnest endeavors for the conversions of sinners. Missions at home and abroad will be set on foot when the love of Christ is fervent. The Spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions, Henry Martin said. The nearer we get to Him, the more intent we become on Him. If you do a Google search for who is Jesus or what do people believe about Jesus, you'll find all kinds of stuff about it. Just some examples. He was a rabble rouser, smart guy who lived and died about 2,000 years ago. Jesus is not the answer. He's the problem. He displayed all the emotions and failings we attribute to mortal beings. He was a man. Was Jesus God? I don't think so. I believe Jesus was a very old, advanced soul that came to earth with advanced knowledge and abilities. Now, besides kind of making you a little mad to hear those, it reminds us hearing that of who he is not for sure. When you compare that to the stories we're about to share with each other, we realize that our view of Jesus ought to be completely different than the world, right? And yet many times we don't walk in the awe of who he is. All right, group one, tell us what happened in your part of it. Now, some of you probably cheated and read around your story, all right? Right? So just act like you've never heard it before as group one tells us about their particular part of this story. All right, Cliff, your spokesman there. Okay. I like how you pass the blame there if it's not any good. Thank you. Good job, Cliff. <laughs> okay, good. All right. You know, it's interesting to me, we, we give the disciples such a hard time. And sometimes they deserve it. But you look at them and they're us. I mean, they, they, they constantly are around this guy and they don't realize it. And you know, if you put yourself in their shoes, the storm's going and Jesus is sleeping. You know they're talking about that. How do I know that? Because we would be. Would you, somebody go down there and get him up. He, he's not doing a thing. It's not helping anybody. We're, I, know we're, I know he's the teacher. I know he's the rabbi. We don't want to disturb him. But somebody go get He's got to do something, right? Um, he's just going to lay down there all day, right? Almost sounds like Martha. But I think what y'all picked up on something I think is very important. They're scared to death when the storm is hitting. Right. Yeah. Well, and here's what I would say. It could be a storm they've never seen before, or it could just be that any storm like that's going to scare. I mean, it was a bad storm. They're scared to death. But then they're more scared when they see who they're with. Now, now we get on the side and go, why are you comforted with Jesus? If we were in a boat, and there was a storm raging everywhere, and the guy that just jumped on the boat with you, a couple of weeks ago that you just met is down in the bottom and you say, get up here and help us. And he walks up and says, stop it. And everything stops. You're going to be a little frightened, right? Who? You're going to say exactly what they said. Who is that? He just spoke and everything stopped. Who is that? 
There's going to be somebody in the boat going, that is amazing. Those are when somebody goes, I'm getting off the boat. We get to shore, I'm done. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing that we kind of forget. We, we think of them, well, they were fishermen and that kind of thing. But the, the most feared thing they had was open water because it was unknown. It was uncharted. Now, we have things that go down and look around and know what's there. And, but they didn't know anything because people that knew too much about underwater didn't come back. Right? All right, so that's the first one, all right? So if you were going to sum up that, okay, let's say this. Jesus demonstrates power over, what would you fill in the blank there? Nature. Nature. All right? So Jesus demonstrates power over nature. Now, that's pretty major, isn't it? We joked about the snow kind of Sunday night, but nature over the last couple of days has told us it can be powerful. Have you seen any of the pictures from north of here? Chicago? New York, Minneapolis, places where water mains are bursting. Right? In places you know they've tried to protect against that, right? It's a powerful thing. And I think Jesus is more powerful than that. All right, group two. Tell us the story y'all had. Yeah, the garrisons. That'd be all right with me. You know, the, the, this story is one of those that um, read like a Hollywood movie, a Hollywood horror movie, right? I mean, the guy is a guy that they put chains on him and he breaks them. They can't hold him. They can't do anything with him. He is completely, in our vernacular, we would say he is insane. He, he is psychotic. And Jesus comes into it and the demons immediately recognize Jesus and are frightened of Jesus. Jesus says, tell me your name. In that society, when you knew someone's name, they thought you had some power over it. And they say, now, now think about this. And it, I, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to get in that moment. But if you could imagine the scariest voice you have ever heard coming out of a man saying, I am legion because we are many. You talk about chills up and down your spine. If that happens Sunday morning in this church, there'd be some people deciding they didn't need to go to Sunday school after 8.30 and might not be coming back next week after 10.30. That's some strange stuff going on. We need to go somewhere else. Can you imagine at eight, that 8, those of you in our 8.30 crowd, all right? Can you imagine if somebody walked in and did that? I'd have to find me a new 830 congregation, right? And it's frightening. And Jesus says, come out, and he throws them into the pig. There's lots of kind of discussion about that. But what's amazing there is even many demons are no match for the power of Jesus, right? Many, countless many. I don't know where you got that either, Miss Shirley, but it's good. We'll go with something like that. Oh, somebody gave it to you. Somebody, yeah. Yeah, there's, there, yeah, and there's discussions about, there is discussions about what a legion in the Roman government was. I think the point here is just many, lots, more than two. 
more than three, more than ten, many have been tormenting this man. And you see the power there. So if we've got Jesus' power, has power over nature, you fill in the blank. Jesus has power over demons, evil, Satan, okay? Group three, tell us your story. Angie, you talking for the group back there? Everybody else is nodding their head like, yes, she is, whether she wants to or not, all right? How many years had she been sick? Twelve years. That's a long time. I know we talk about time goes quickly, but 12 years is a long time, right? 12 years ago would have been, what, 2002? Some of you say, that doesn't seem that long ago. It's been a long time ago, all right? 12 years. In their society, to have what she had meant that she could not associate with anybody. For 12 years. She couldn't go into a place of worship for 12 years. She couldn't eat with anybody else around for 12 years. Day after day after day. Scripture says that she went everywhere she could to try to figure out what was going on. And that doctors had taken advantage of her. They had bled her dry. One infomercial after another promising to be free. You know my favorite part of this whole story though is? I mean it's cool. I mean it's a really cool story. The touching, the power going out, the healing. My favorite part of this. And, and it comes from when I, when I was at Union. And every time I hear the story I think of this sermon. When I was at Union, I don't even remember the guy's name. But we had somebody come in and preach um, a, 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 like a revival services at Union. And this was a, a large African-American man that was preaching. And uh, I remember he got to this part and he talked about the fact that Jesus turns to this woman who didn't have anybody, didn't have friends, couldn't associate with anybody, and he calls her daughter. Now when you just read that, you just kind of throw it away because daughter, you faith has healed you, but when you haven't had anybody accept you or touch you or hug you or love on you for 12 years and somebody looks at you and says, my girl. Now, we get used to that kind of stuff. You know, in fact, sometimes in the South, we're so used to it that when we go through the drive through and they say, honey, here you go. We just don't think anything about it, right? Precious, yeah. you don't know me. I'm the giving you, Right? Anybody had that happen at drive throughs Right? Here's, here's your sweet tea, honey. Yeah, have a good day. But when you haven't had a word of affection spoken to you in 12 years, and there's a guy that just made you whole, looks at you and says, daughter, it's a powerful moment. He's power over nature. He's power over demons. Power over, what would y'all say back there? Disease, sickness. All right, what do y'all got over here? Somebody volunteered you, is that what happened, Steve? You know, one of the things, and this is a sidebar on what I spoke on Sunday, okay, and what we're talking about for the next few Sundays. But Jesus was never in a hurry. And if there was ever a time you think he ought to be in a hurry, it's when a 12-year-old girl's dying. He's never in a hurry. He just knows that God's going to take care of it. He trusts the Lord. 
on the way this woman touches him. And at that moment, that woman, now, and if you're Jairus at that moment, you're like, okay, Jesus, that's good. She's done. Let's go. Right? He's never in a hurry. And how somehow we think being in a hurry will help us get done everything we need to get done. If we have to be in a hurry to get done everything we need to get done, then we don't need to get done some of the stuff we're trying to get done. We rest in who Jesus is. That's right. I have to hurry up and get there so my kids stop asking when are we going to get there, right? This story is, you know, as a dad who has a son that's about to be 11, you hear this story and you think, what are your emotions? If you're, if you're Jairus, you're just desperate. Whatever it takes, let's go find him, let's go get him. I've heard this guy can heal, let's go, let's go, let's go. You're just desperate. And then you get the news and you are just crushed. You know he knew when he saw them coming, it's too late. They wouldn't come unless it's too late. She's not getting better. Just crushed. And Jesus says, don't worry. And you want to hope. You want to believe. You want to think. And you get there and she's dead. And he says, she's just sleeping. You're like, no, Jesus. She's not. She's dead. Jesus walks in and says, get up. And says they were amazed. We, we serve a Jesus, a God, who is powerful over nature, controls it all, spoke and the world came into existence, speaks and the winds and the waves stop. We serve a Jesus who is more powerful than anything evil can throw at him. Countless number of demons in enough to stop him. We serve a Jesus that an illness that nobody else can figure out is not too difficult for him to handle without him even knowing it's happening. We serve a Jesus that death, the final enemy, is no match for him. And what is most amazing to me about all of that is the personal care he has. Now, I know it seems like he rebukes the disciples, but that's because he cares about them. He's like, guys, just trust, just believe, just don't worry. And this woman he turns to and says, daughter, this man that he rescues from the demons, you know that man had been tortured literally for years. And this family that thinks they're losing their 12-year-old girl, with death to a 12-year-old was much more common in their day than in ours. But that didn't mean it was easier. And yet in each case, he shows amazing love. It's not just the power. It's the love and the grace and the humility that comes along with it. Right? And we want, I mean, we live in a world that desperately desires that love. You know, in a worldly sense, there's very few things that can kind of convey the emotion of love like a good country song. Whether you like country music or not, all right. I mean, there's nothing that can that can say that in a early sense. The heartbreak, like a country song, right? I mean, like he stopped loving her today, right? You know that first line of that song. You know, he said, "I loved her till I die," right? God's got to die, to, you know, be done with his love. The first time I, you, you know, some of you may remember, first time I heard that song, I was like. Boy, this is sad. And then when it says, it talks about the Carrie Moore, I'm like, oh! Or George Jones, the Grand Tour. What about that? Takes them in the house, the heartbreak, all right? But there's also that side of it that talks about our desire for that lasting, everlasting love. 
like these lyrics. They say time takes its toll on a body. Makes the young girl's brown head turn gray. I ain't got that deep draw like Randy does. But honey, I don't care. I ain't in love with your hair. And if it all fell out, I'd love you anyway, right? Y'all know that song? Because my love is deeper than the holler. We're not, we, we in the South, Cliff. We're not ocean and we're not Louisiana people around here. We got hollers, all right? Right? The ocean is in there, right? All right. But there's that sense that we want that love that is deeper, that is longer, that is stronger, that is anything we know. And the world does too. And we know where it comes from. And it's from this guy who is more powerful than anything we can imagine. Here's my task for you this week. Read these stories or some other stories in Scripture. Remember the amazement that comes from recognizing the God of the universe descended to our planet and loves us to the point of death. Be amazed by Jesus again. By his love for you. By his salvation. By what he's done. Now, now we say, well, we, that shouldn't be too difficult. It shouldn't have been too difficult for the disciples to recognize who they were with this, but it is. Read some stories. Reflect on when you were saved. Reflect on when God did something miraculous in your life. Reflect on when His power was shown. And spend some time giving thanks this week for who He is. And then one other thing. One other assignment for you. Write an email or a letter to somebody just to tell them how good God's been to you. Okay? Email and just say, hey, listen, I wanted to share with you something about God's done for me. Don't have to have any other pretense in the letter than that. Just share what God's done for you. You know why? Because every one of these stories, you know what we see? Amazed people tell others. And that's how evangelism happens. All right? Let's pray.